A few weeks ago, a group of us heard some inspiring speakers at the Global Leadership Summit, and Dr. Brene Brown was one of my favorites. She's a social scientist who is giving a fresh voice to some foundational biblical truths. First, she reminds us that everyone, all of us, children, youth, and adults of all ages, we all have a fundamental need for love and belonging. We all need intimacy to deeply connect with others, and we all need to feel a part of something greater than ourselves. And second, we all struggle with stuff that gets in the way of love and belonging. We struggle deeply because we are afraid or ashamed that we don't have enough. We're not smart enough, successful enough, thin enough, spiritual enough, you fill in the blank. Deep down, when we're truly honest, we can believe that we are not enough. We are tempted to think, just me as I am, I'm not enough for someone to love me, for me to feel like I belong. Instead, we work harder and harder to be enough. And we hide anything that would betray our deep fear that we are not enough. But there is an alternative way to live. And some people embrace it. Brene Brown and the Bible call it wholehearted living. Wholeheartedness is about loving God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving others as we love ourselves. It's about cultivating creativity and trust and generosity and authenticity and gratitude and peace and joy. Jesus lived this way, and he wants the freedom and joy of wholehearted living for us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, help us hear your word today and help us experience more of the wholehearted life you made us for. Amen. Our passage is the final one in our summer series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. As I began studying this passage, I quickly noticed how many times Father is repeated. 17 times. So I did a quick word cloud uh, of our passage, which sort of visually interprets word frequency. And you can see uh, the main ideas in this passage at a glance. Clearly, Father is very important. Jesus is always talking about his heavenly Father. One of the main questions in this passage is, who is Jesus' father? What's he like? Jesus continually emphasizes his close, intimate relationship with Father God. Jesus knows the Father better than anyone. He tells his listeners, I come from Father God. He is always with me. He never leaves me. I always do what pleases him. I and the Father are one. From the time Jesus was a little boy, Jesus continually experienced intimacy with the Father. He knows absolutely that he is loved and that he belongs. 
And Jesus wants us to know absolutely that we are loved by Father God. Jesus urges us to embrace this relationship of love, to accept that we are children of God, created in His image, and invited into a loving relationship with Father God. He also reassures us that sons and daughters belong to God's family forever. Sons and daughters belong forever. Not sometimes, but always. Not just when we're working our hardest. We belong to God always, even when we make bad choices, especially when we make bad choices. Jesus gave his life for our bad choices. Father God says we belong because he loves us. He made us. He chose us. So how do we get to know Father God better? <clears throat> to get to know the Father, you have to get to know the Son. Throughout our passage, Jesus makes this shocking parallel. He equates being a child of, the, of, the, of God with being a disciple of himself. An outrageous claim that's really hard for some to hear. He says, if you knew me, you would know the Father. And if God were your father, you would love me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, if I said being a child of God means being a disciple of Scott Mann, you'd all think I was a lunatic. And also, I'd get fired. Uh, but Jesus can say this because he really is God, and he knows it. And he says so in this passage the clearest in the whole Bible where Jesus claims to be God. And that's exactly the second big question in this passage. Who is the Father? Who is Jesus? The group listening to Jesus asks him first, who are you? And then after J J Jesus makes some more outrageous claims, they scoff, just who do you think you are? When has someone said that to you? maybe in their tone. Just who do you think you are? That accusing question can strike terror into our hearts. When someone challenges us like that, we usually either go on the offensive and try to impress them with our awesomeness, or we try to disappear into the woodwork. Well, instead of fight or flight, Jesus answers them with authentic self-disclosure. He simply tells them who he is. I am, I am, I am, I am. An unprecedented four I am statements in chapter 8. First, I am the light of the world. Second and third, believe that I am he and know that I am he. Two claims to be the Messiah, the, the long-promised and long-awaited Savior of Israel and of all the world's people, according to the Old Testament. And the fourth I am statement is the most amazing I am of them all and climaxes this conversation. Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. 
his listeners knew immediately that he was claiming to be Yahweh, I am who I am, the center of their monotheistic worship. They immediately try to stone him for the worst imaginable blasphemy, a human claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. But again, Jesus can claim this because he really is God. Jesus says only God can raise the dead. Watch me do it because I am the resurrection and the life. Only God can forgive sins. Watch me do it because I am the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. Only God can bring manna from heaven. Watch me feed 5,000 because I am the bread of life. Jesus knows exactly who he is and what's most important. So clearly it's important to Jesus that we know the Father and him and that we believe and follow what Jesus says. Which brings us to the third big question in our passage and the one that was most surprising to me as I studied. Who are the people Jesus is talking to? Why is Jesus so snarky here? There are few places in all of Scripture where Jesus is this confrontational, this challenging. He's not even speaking in parables. As my grandfather would say, he is giving them both barrels. He is blasting away repeatedly, calling them uh, children of Satan and murderers. This is not how we teach our kids to win friends and influence people. Now, Jesus can say this because he's God and we're not. So I'm thinking we shouldn't go around telling people they're the spawn of Satan. Just saying. Not a good idea. So who are these people that Jesus is harshing on and why? You might be surprised like I was. They are us. Look at verses 30 and 31. John repeats it twice so we can't miss it. Jesus says all this stuff to people who had believed in him. He didn't say it to unbelievers. Jesus gives all these stern warnings to religious people who had begun to believe and follow Jesus. Jesus knows that religious people are often the most fearful of not being good enough for God to love them. Religious people are often the most determined to show that they are somehow better than other people. Jesus knew they needed a jolt out of their self-focus and smug superiority. Jesus loves us and knows what's best for us. So he warns them and he warns us to not be deceived, to not be slaves to sin and self, fear and shame, but to follow his teaching to wholehearted living. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Any other way is hopeless. The way to wholehearted living, to salvation, is through Jesus only. But Jesus knows we like to have our cake and eat it too. We want to live our lives the way we want, with just enough Jesus sprinkled on top. We tell ourselves everything in moderation. 
Well, Jesus refuses to be a hobby. He leaves no option but absolute allegiance to him as Lord. Anything else, anything less, is outright denial, betrayal, rebellion. Now, if his tough talk surprises us, it shouldn't. Jesus gave many examples of people who began to believe and follow him and then turned away. Jesus told the rich young man, go and sell everything you have and come, come and follow me. And then he watched him walk away. And Jesus taught that some people accept his teaching gladly in their hearts, but the temptations of the world, wealth, control, lust, the devil choked them out. And let's not forget that Judas Iscariot was a religious person who began to believe and follow Jesus for three years before finally refusing to submit to Jesus as Lord. We can open ourselves to God, or we can withdraw into self, but not both. Jesus jars us out of our complacency with these stern warnings these unapologetic, absolute claims because God has given us a terrible freedom to truly follow Jesus or not. The Bible urges us to choose life, to seek first the kingdom of God, to trust ourselves more and more to God. The alternative is death, a slow living death now of, to slavery, to sin and self, anxiety and alienation, and eventually the eternal death of final separation from God. So now we can understand why Jesus gets in their faces. If we're about to get hit by a car, we want someone to yell at us and yank us out of the way. The stakes are high, and his love compels him to shake them up, to make lukewarm discipleship impossible. We either follow Jesus as Lord or call him a lunatic or a liar. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. How do you respond to that? If we want abundant life, we must abide in Jesus' word. The Bible is the way to know Jesus. Otherwise, we just believe whatever we want about God. But the Bible grounds us in the actual words and actions of Jesus. There is no substitute for studying the Bible. It teaches us everything we need to truly follow Jesus. It teaches us the truth about who we are. That I, I am simply me, loved by God and invited to do my best to follow Jesus, to love wholeheartedly. It's not even about how well I do it. Father Abraham and King David were men after God's own heart, not because they were particularly obedient or faithful, but because they wanted to love God 
and follow God. They courageously trusted God's love for them, regardless of their own impressive achievements or epic failures. Do you believe the Bible when it says you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that you don't have it all together? Do you believe the Bible when it says you are a beloved son, a beloved daughter who belongs forever in Father God's family? I challenge all of us today to choose today to believe the Bible, to resolve to live and love as courageously and as wholeheartedly as we can, trusting Jesus to lead us. Amen? Amen. Loving God, that is our prayer. Help us as we believe your word that you are enough, that we are enough in you. Help us to live and love wholeheartedly. Amen.